Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram's skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Praise God for the reading of His Word. We can now take our seats. According to pattern, Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9. God told Moses to make a dwelling place for his presence. We thoroughly discussed why, and if you need to learn more, if you missed the earlier sermons in the series, I suggest you visit our website. We have sermons there you can find in Spotify, and you can listen it through your phone and or through the computer, and if videos on Facebook so I will not dwell with that anymore. I'm going to run through. This is the final part of the series, and this is merely a review of what we discussed. And it should be according to God's pattern, not the pattern of Moses, God's pattern, showing us that God is a God of detail, and he... Our application is he is interested in the details of our lives and even the details of our church and the details of our families. If it is according to the pattern, according to the Holy Scriptures, we look at the New Testament to see our pattern. But in the Old Testament, it gives us a shadow of what the new would be. And it gives us a sort of a connection, a structure because we understand the old, we appreciate the New Testament more. We appreciate more who Jesus is. And, and the scriptures in the Old Testament and even the tabernacle gives us an understanding of, of the things written in the New Testament. Now, when they started, God blesses people with provisions, and we find that in Egypt. Then he asks for a contribution. We've already discussed this before. They gave a contribution, and that has been the pattern. God would bless them, and a portion of the blessing they receive regularly from the Lord, either through harvest or some other means of blessing, they give a portion of that to the priesthood, to those who serve the Lord. In our context, we give it to our local church, as the New Testament did. And uh, the leaders in the New Testament uh, decide how to use it. And then in our congregational meeting, you can question if we, how we are using it is 
doing it properly. And if you are an official member, you can always go to the office and say, may I have a copy of the financial statements? And you can do that. And you have the freedom to do that. Why? Because we take seriously financial abuse. And if there is abuse financially, we pray that the Lord will show it to us. And if we can't see it, we pray that the Lord will deal with them directly. And sometimes maybe painfully. So that has been the pattern so that they can build God's house. Now, God doesn't need a house. God doesn't need a dwelling place. But he wanted to show Israel his presence. It's for the sake of Israel. God doesn't need a throne on earth. God doesn't need a tent on earth. But it is for the sake of the people. And at times, Bible language, the writers of the New, Old and New Testament wrote in such a way to hopefully make the people understand. Now, let us review the tabernacle. So may I have the, uh, the file? Let's look at each slide of the tabernacle. So this is the tabernacle in the midst of God's people. They were intense because they were mobile then. And the temple of Solomon was not yet built during that time. Well, Solomon was not yet born. David was not yet born. So they, they, the whole thing is mobile. They move from place to place until they reach the promised land. And we know that they were not able to enter the promised land. Therefore, they have to move around the wilderness. So next slide. This is the altar of sacrifice. That's where they, they slaughter animals, innocent animals. Next. For their sins. The bronze laver is where the priests wash their hands and feet. And scripture says, if they fail, they could die. So they have to wash before they serve inside the tent. And after they leave the tent, they were to wash. And for us, that is the word of God. And there are so many New Testament language saying that the water of the word and the mirror of the word, because this was made of mirrors. Okay, next. This is the golden lampstand. And... Uh, and uh, some said it's seven, perhaps seven keeps appearing in the Bible. There are seven days, and the seventh day God rested, and this is seven. Of course, you can spiritualize that to a certain extent, but don't do it too much, to a point that you think seven is a lucky number. Uh, by the way, we don't, we don't believe in luck, all right? We believe in blessings. So please don't ever say again, I'm lucky, all right? If you're lucky, then it's by chance. If you are blessed, you believe it was planned by God to bless you. So I don't say the word, I'm lucky. Unless your name is lucky, uh, don't say you're lucky, all right? This is the golden lampstand, which is the light of Christ. Christ is the light of the world, but Christ also said, you are the light of the world. And next is the table of showbread, where the priests eat. The bread is offered to God, but the God, God gives it back to the priest to eat. So uh, the bread comes from the giving of the people. Therefore, the priest must eat because the priests, the Levites, were not given land. They were not given land, but they were given the priesthood and the support of God's, God's people. And bread is a sign of covenant. They eat in God's house, meaning you are a covenant brother. I, God made a covenant and then... They eat with one another. They are brothers. And this one represents, uh, most likely represents Israel because there are six, uh, six pieces of bread here. 
This is the altar of incense, and uh, that is prayer. It is 24-7. Strange fires cannot be put there. In Leviticus 10, uh, Nadab and Abihu, from the priesthood, offered strange fire. God gave Moses strict instructions what they can offer, and the rest cannot be offered. So they offered something there, and uh, according to the scripture, fire came out and consumed them. Okay, so that's another way we could say that God is a holy God. And yes, sometimes God kills people. Uh, I hope you now accept that. Please do not be moved by the theology of the world. Go for the scriptures. God is love and his love is found in Christ. Let us remember that. He is merciful, but he is holy at the same time. And inside is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark sa Tagalog, Kaban ng Tipan. Kasi nasa loob yung, yung tablets. Okay, when I say tablets, the stones, okay? Uh, the stones, and then on top of that is the mercy seat. And it reflects that His mercy uh, covers His justice. And that mercy seat, the reflection of that is, that is Christ. And they... The high priest would offer once a year for the sins of the people. Uh, the people would only offer outside in the altar of sacrifice. But the high priest would come here and sprinkle the blood in the mercy seat. So people were saying, it doesn't look like a seat. Well, God's presence it comes down there, okay? Probably in the form of light, smoke, or fire that floats. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean he needs, he needs to sit down because, again... He is not in the form of man. God is a spirit. If he wants to have the form of man, he can do it. So that is the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing God's justice, God's throne of justice, and God's throne of mercy at the same time. Okay, according to the pattern, let's just re review it. Number one, the Holy of Holies is within. It is within the tent, there are two divisions. The inner one is the Holy of Holies, and the, and the other part is the Holy Place. So the Holy of Holies, there were two items of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. Both items are known as the Ark of the Covenant. Within the Ark is a testimony, the law, but the Mercy Seat covered it. Of course, in the book of Hebrews, uh, there are other items within the ark, which is the pot of manna and the rod of Aaron that budded. Then the holy place, there were three items of furniture, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and the golden lampstand. The lampstand lights the place because it's dark, it was dark there. The priests eat the bread in the presence of God, and the incense is continuous. So prayer is continuous. And then the outer court, there were two items of furniture, the brazen laver, um, because it's made of brass, and the altar of sacrifice, also covered with brass, but there was wood inside it. They sacrificed at the altar innocent animals, slaughtered as atonement. What is atonement in exchange of? Somebody must pay for your sins. You see, they repent of their sins in their heart, but regularly they have to bring an innocent animal. That was the pattern. For what purpose? To give us a foreshadowing of Christ, the sinless Lamb of God, who had to die for our sins. So, 
they, they offered innocent animals, and the priests washed their hands and feet at the laver before entering and after leaving the tent, lest they die. Now, let's go through uh, the application. Number one, let us not forget, God rules with justice. Thus, we respect His justice and holiness. We aim to obey the grace by the grace of God. So, we determine to obey God, obey the Word of God, not in our own strength, but by the grace of God. But still, we must strive. Those who think that, well, I'll keep sinning anyway, God will forgive me. Uh, if you're, you're not sincere, no, He will not forgive you. Okay? God is a God of justice. Ananias and Sapphira, in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, they lied to the apostles and they breathed their last. And sometimes God does that. And a sudden death or death after a while. And I think many have told the stories as well of those who mock God after a while uh, in one, if it is God's will. At times they are given space to, to repent of their sins. We must understand that the mercy of God is in Christ. Therefore, everybody must repent. Now is the time that people can come to God for mercy. Because outside Christ is only judgment. It's only the wrath of God. Now, some will philosophize, but that is not theology. Uh, and they would say their interpretation as God is all-loving in the sense that God will not let anything bad happen to me. I'd like to say to you that is not scriptural. In fact, God allows us to go through different sufferings. If you remember Job, you remember Joseph the dreamer, you remember Jacob, you remember Paul the apostle, or even Peter, and, and the rest of the apostles suffered in his name. Of course, he has also blessed others like David to live in a throne, and Solomon, again, his ways are not our ways. Each person is different. But you cannot say that God will not make you suffer because He loves you. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we cannot use our lowly logic to explain Him. We use the Scriptures as He revealed Himself. As He revealed Himself, He is holy, He is merciful, yes. He is loving, but His love is what? Found in Christ Jesus. Found in Christ Jesus. Outside that, there is justice. The love of God is expressed by giving everybody the chance or by giving His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice that is sufficient for all. But we know it will only be efficient for a few. Why? Even if He died... It's clear in Scripture that God is not a universalist in the sense that everybody will be saved. Jesus said, narrow is the way. Wide is the way to destruction. But only few will come to the Lord with all sincerity. Many will claim they belong to the Lord, but, but their actions will, den they will deny it. Some would love to quote Romans 10, 9 and 10 without without connecting it to the greater part of Scripture. What is Romans 10? If I confess Jesus is Lord, I shall be saved. And believe in my heart that God raised him to that I shall be saved. That is true, as long as it is within the context of the whole Romans. What's the context of Romans? 
Don't forget Romans 6. Should we sin because there is grace, that grace may abound? Certainly not. Have we forgotten that Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Have we forgotten 2 Timothy chapter 2? And uh, that says that what? To them that name the name of the Lord, they shall abstain from wickedness. That is verse 19. If you name the name of the Lord, you should abstain from wickedness. If you say you mention Jesus is Lord, but you do not repent from wickedness, then you're not looking at the context of, the great, of, of all Scripture. You're choosing a portion of Scripture and putting meaning to it instead of looking at all Scripture. God rules with justice. Let us not forget that. He is holy and he is sovereign. Number two, yet we believe that God prefers to rule with mercy. How? The very structure of the ark where the mercy seat covers the law. Because God knows Israel will fail. Israel will keep failing. And that is what the law reveals to us in the New Testament. The law was given to show us what is sin, and we recognize that we cannot meet up to it, although we decide to follow it with all our hearts, we decide to do it with all our hearts, yet God knows that our humanity will fail. That is why Christ must be there. Christ is the mercy of God, where his justice and mercy meet. Please do not forget that. He received the wrath of God on the cross. Some don't believe that. They don't know their scripture. They don't know the Bible. It's clear that God's wrath, in Romans, it's clearly said there, God's wrath was upon Christ. So God's wrath was put on Christ. And then what? And God's mercy is released through Christ as well. So the only place where God's justice and mercy would meet is in Christ is in Christ. Therefore, satisfying the sacrifice, thus we believe and follow Christ. We believe and follow Christ with all our hearts. It's not just any religion. Somebody sent me a, a, a link, or, or no, a Facebook, shared to me uh, by this popular singer in my time, and uh, uh, he claims to be a Christian. He was invited in a seminary to sing. And you know what he said? Uh, why do we have to complicate things? Isn't the scripture just say, love one another? Do we have to complicate things? So I said to the friend who shared it to me, I think he's very simple. And when I say simple, that means ignorant. Because the gospel is not about loving one another. It is a small part of it. It is part of the law that we must obey. The gospel is not about loving one another. If the gospel is about loving one another, Christ didn't have to come and die. The gospel is about we are sinners. We are in debt. In debt to what? The justice of God. We have to pay for our crimes. An innocent lamb the perfect Lamb of God must die for us so that we don't have to keep sacrificing innocent animals for us. The gospel is not just about loving your neighbor. The gospel is not just about good works. That's a piece of what we do in application because Christ is in us. 
But the gospel is about the justice and mercy of God. Please let us not forget that. So we cannot preach a gospel that just says, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for you. Uh, can you see any apostle, <clears throat> any apostle, who preached that way? <clears throat> There's none. God loves you, and he has a plan for you. Who? Show me who. Line by line, go through the book of Acts. Line by line by line. No, you know what they said? You crucified the Son of God. What did Paul say? In every place I preach repentance and faith towards Christ. I think he said that before Felix. In every place I preach repentance of sin and faith toward Christ. We believe in the mercy of God. But right now, if you are in Christ, praise God. You hate sin. Why? Because it changed your heart. And that is the new covenant. Through Jer the message through Jeremiah was, I will give you a new heart. And true enough, if you are within the covenant, if God has chosen you, meaning you have truly repented of your sins and have faith in Him, your heart has changed. He changes your heart. Your desires change. If your desires have not changed, then that is a serious thing. Then we must seek the Lord and say, Lord, please save me. Save me, Lord. Number three, our prayers must be continuous. This is about the altar of incense. Application one and two is the ark and the mercy seat. Number three, our prayers must be continuous because the altar of incense was continuous 24-7. And our lives must be a living sacrifice. So it's also our lives being offered to the Lord. The pattern of our prayer and worship must be according to Scripture. So our lives, our bodies must be a living sacrifice. That's found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. So you cannot say you worship God on a Sunday, then commit immorality, premarital sex, or extramarital sex, or adultery during the week. You just can't do that. You just can't. If you think you can, then you are deceived. You are deceived by yourself. And you try to philosophize, to reason out, somehow God will forgive me. Yeah, if you are truly repentant. But if you are not repentant and you think you keep coming back to worship so that to appease some guilt of yours, it doesn't work that way. You come to God humbly, broken, saying, I am a sinner, Lord. I don't deserve your mercy. I have disobeyed so many times. But there's nowhere else I can go. You're the only one who died. You're the only one who is sinless. You're the only sacrifice worthy to cover, to erase my sins. There's nowhere else to go. You think good works will pile up so that you remove your guilt? doesn't work that way as well. Our prayers must be continuous. Number four, we must we remember our covenant with God. This is the table of showbread. We discussed about covenant, how the meal. Right now we use what's this? Ostya or little bread. Uh, some use unleavened bread, that's fine too. But it was actually a meal. If you look at the Old Testament, after a covenant, they ate together. They ate together. 
Uh, why bread? Because bread was the popular thing they eat then. In, Jesus, in the Last Supper, Jesus said uh, he breaks the bread. Uh, if the setting were in Asia, you are one bowl of rice, okay? And we share one bowl together. But I won't go as far as making our communion a bowl of rice, okay? So I won't do that. And each one, we're part of one bowl of one harvest. I won't do that. But we still use the bread because that is what was the traditional practice in the New Testament. Yes, we have traditions as long as we see it in the New Testament. Okay? We try to minimize other traditions that are not supported by the New Testament. We remember the covenant. And what is the covenant? Lord, I remember your death and resurrection. And aside from that, because we are one with him, we are one with one another. It is a meal. That's why I believe in growth groups that eat together. Because somehow if we say we remember the Lord's death and we are part of one body, and that's what they did before. They broke bread from house to house. If we do that, we are in effect like doing communion Together, We commune with God and we commune with one another. Number five, Christ is the light of the world. But he also said, you are the light of the world. Thus, we must reflect his light to the world by preaching the gospel. But we must understand the gospel, please. Yung iba kasi ang hilig magdebate, pero hindi naman mahilig mag-aral. Ano yun? They debate what the gospel is, but they do not study the scriptures line by line. They don't study it by context. Too much debate, too much words. Foolish words. Go through it line by line. Look for context. That's why we want you to read and try to comprehend and study it by context. And don't justify something that is not clearly there. Christ is the light of the word. We preach the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, then you don't have the clear light within you. The gospel must be clear. The justice of God is satisfied through the death of Christ and his resurrection defeated death. That is why there is eternal life in him. He defeated death. And the plan of God is not just to save us from hell. No, 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 no. That's part of it. We were saved from the wrath of God. It's not really hell. It's the wrath of God. The hell is one expression of his wrath. We are saved from the wrath of God into eternal life in Christ. But not only eternal life. If we understood Romans once again and the other parts of scripture, it is what? It is glorification. The gospel is also about being co-heirs in Christ, receiving and having everything that Christ has. What he has, he shares. That is the meaning of co-heir in Christ. We remember, we have to understand the gospel. And some think the gospel is simply what? Accept him. Accept him. Technically, it sounds correct, but that is not the command form in Scripture. The command form is believe and repent, or repent and believe, have faith. And the believe there, it means you believe so much you want to follow, that you actually follow. The water of the word, which is the, the labor, sanctifies us, 
God transform us by the power of His Word. Thus, we must meditate, read, and study, and apply God's Word. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. That's why we need the Word of God regularly. Why? It cleanses us. It cleanses our way of thinking. And no change really happens without the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to transform us. That is why in discipleship, what do we do? We point people to the Word. We give them a habit of reading the Word regularly. As the priests regularly wash their hands, inside, outside, through and through, they see a reflection of themselves, and we know that the Word of God is a mirror to our souls, and it's water that regenerates us. It's water that sanctifies us. That's why without the Word, there is no change. Some people think they can change themselves. That's why we are not a moralistic church, although we believe in morality. We believe in the moral law, but we're not moralistic. Why? Because we don't just say, change yourself. We say, humble yourself before the Lord. Come to the Word of God. Absorb it. Ask forgiveness of your sins. Because once you are exposed to the Word of God, the Word of God, not just as an intellectual exercise, not just head knowledge, but spiritual knowledge that nourishes the soul, then transformation happens. There is no sanctification without the Word of God. That's why we're concerned. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't, you first read, then you meditate, then you study. Some read, but they never studied. It's not enough. That's why we study. That's why we have growth groups, because we're a bit more serious in analyzing the sermon that we have discussed. We want more. We want more. We cannot have God's Word on Sunday, and for the rest of the week, there's nothing. Transformation happens the more we understand and learn God's Word, not in head knowledge, but spiritual knowledge, meaning you're hungry to learn. You're hungry to do. You're hungry to apply. You're hungry to understand. My concern is people who like to debate, but don't try to understand. How can I tell if I ask them if they truly studied? If they analyze it line by line. So my friends, please, have the time to humbly come before God because the power to transform by the Spirit cannot be separated from the Word of God. Other groups might say it's just a supernatural experience, that you have uncontrollable movements. And some of those who say that's a revival, I don't... I cannot connect that with other historical revivals that are based on God's Word. Some people have a shaking experience without God's Word. Oh my. Then you would find a connection between on African tribes who actually experience that as well, which I believe is more demonic at times. Though I believe in the power of the Spirit of God. Do not mistake me for that. But the Word cannot be outside there. It should be there, front and center. Our faith is in Christ's finished work. He was a perfect atonement for our sins. We remember, appreciate, and proclaim His death and resurrection. That is the altar of sacrifice. And lastly, we are the dwelling place of God. Everything in our lives should be according to His pattern. 
found in Scripture. Every detail we have to ask, Lord, is this your will? Everything. Don't be a slave of your emotion. If you're a slave of your emotion, then you are weak. And how can you be strong in Christ? Humility. Admit you are weak. Admit you are weak and come to Christ in humility and say, I need grace, O Lord. You do not give in to every feeling you have. You don't. You don't give in to every physical urge you have. You're not animals. We were created in the image of God. And as believers, supposed to be there's a transformation. If you're a true believer, Christ somehow regenerates your heart. There's a change there. And if you have not experienced that, then you come to the Lord in humility. Change happens with the word. That's why if I were to demystify discipleship, it's simply pointing people to the word and giving them the habit. And hopefully they would be convicted of their sins and at the same time find comfort and peace. And when I say peace, it's not like some other way. One wrong way of preaching the gospel is this. If you come to the Lord, he will solve all your problems. Oh, brother. All your problems spiritually, yes, in the sense that he saves you from the penalty of sin, which is eternal suffering. Yes. I say that as a guilty member of his church before I have preached that way. And I decided, no, when I look at scripture, the disciples didn't say that. They did not say that. If you keep preaching that, people will come to the Lord. You may not know if they're truly saved, because they're going to come to the Lord in the sense that, uh, because you said all my problems, he'll take away. We have to give them the reality that their souls are in danger. Our souls are in danger. And it is only Christ and Christ alone. And we tell them the good news of Christ, which is what? Forgiveness, and not only forgiveness, peace with God. Peace with God. Because we never knew that God was against us. Yes, God was against you. Did God hate you? Uh, could be. Psalm 5.11 His soul, his soul abhors or hates the wicked every day. I can get into that in another time. But it deserves another thing. So please, these cliches, I call them Christian cliches, that do not come from scripture, but comes from what? The philosophy of religion. It's a different discipline in the academe. It came from there, not from the scriptures. In scriptures, we talk about theology. We talk about the study of the scriptures. Based on its context. Not, anong tingin mo dyan? Please don't do Bible study like that. Ikaw, anong tingin mo dyan? Hindi, anong inaral mo? What did you study that came out clear based on the context? What can we say as the meaning of what this writer said based on the context of who received it, the culture of that time, and what he meant? What was the meaning of the author? Not what I think it means. That's why we encourage you, study with us, join the growth group. It's a journey. It's a journey, and the 
we must follow the pattern according to God's word. Let's try not to mess it up. Do not offer strange fires. Do not deviate from the pattern for why there are consequences always. But there is so much blessing if we follow the grace of God as he has discussed, as it was written in the New Testament. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Everything was made according to pattern. We thank you because we can look at God's word and we can surrender and submit our minds, our emotions, our hearts, our will, everything. Though we work out our salvation, we know that it is you who is at work within us. Although it may seem that we have repented and have faith, but in reality you have chosen us. It is you who called us, for we cannot even repent sincerely without the Holy Spirit. For we cannot even seek you if you do not allow us to seek you. So we are grateful, Lord. We are thankful. Yet in our hearts, give us that hunger and hunger for you. I pray, Lord, transform our hearts as you promised through Jeremiah that you will give us a new heart. Allow us to experience that new heart that suddenly the things that are sinful we dislike and we are not comfortable. And if ever we sin, we feel guilty. Yet trusting in your grace, in the mercy seat, which is Christ, the mercy of Christ that covers our sins, that covers the penalty of our sin, that removes the penalty of our sin, that justifies us through faith alone, through faith alone. So we trust and believe. We trust and believe, and we have faith that he is the Lamb of God who died for the sin of the world. We believe he rose again from the dead, and he is at the right hand of God with all dominion and sovereignty. And we believe, Lord, that it is you. You have died for those people that you have called. And yet you call every man to repent. Therefore, we proclaim your word to call every person to repent and have faith. We thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you for your pattern. To you be the glory. Let's all rise. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. May God's protection, peace, and guidance, and wisdom, and endurance be with you through this season of testing and trial. May you thrive like Elijah. May you thrive like Elisha. May God's plan be fulfilled upon you like Joseph. May the Lord through uh, may the Lord grant you endurance as he gave Paul as we continue to be faithful. We may have learned to be in abundance or in lack, having nothing and having many. Yet through it all, it does not change our faith in Him. Our trust is only in Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Palakpakan natin ang Panginoon. God is good.